Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome to Politico Tech. Today is Wednesday, November 15th. I'm your host, Stephen Overly. UK Tech Secretary Michelle Donlan is in the US this week, the latest British official to make the sweep through Washington, D.C., Seattle, and San Francisco in recent months. You may recall we had Secretary Donlan on the podcast last month, ahead of the UK's big AI safety summit. Her position in the UK government was only created earlier this year, and yet she's been handed an ambitious mandate to make the UK a tech superpower by the end of the decade. On the show today, I caught up with Secretary Donlan between her meetings on Capitol Hill. She elaborated on plans for the U.S. and U.K. to join forces against AI risks and offered some advice for U.S. policymakers based on the U.K.'s efforts to regulate big tech. Other than uh, folks who also work at Politico, you're our first repeat guest. So you have the the distinct honor of of appearing twice before anyone else. It's my claim to fame. I like it. (laughs) Secretary Donlin, welcome back to Politico Tech. Uh, Great to have you again. The last time that we spoke, we discussed the upcoming UK AI summit. That has now come and gone. You're in the US this week. Is is your visit sort of a following up on that event? Um, It is in part. So hot off the wheels of the... um, of the summit. Yeah, we are here in uh, the United States, deepening that partnership and uh, picking up on some of the conversations that took place during the summit to make sure that our institute and uh, your institute, when it is created, can work together as sister organizations and that we can really share expertise and also uh, information. But it's not uh, the limit of what I'm discussing uh, here in in America. I'm also uh, picking up on uh, the Online Safety Act that we have uh, produced in the United Kingdom, which is the most comprehensive uh, piece of legislation in this area across the globe. And I know that uh, um, your legislators are are attempting something in a a more targeted way around children. And I'm very much trying to help and and showcase what we've done and to try and encourage other nations, including America, to to follow suit. And then also got several meetings with uh, lots of uh, tech companies um, as we try and ensure that we have the correct environment and ingredients in the UK to continue to interact and grow the tech sector. And I've got some uh, meetings on our important science agenda um, and including a visit to NASA. Busy, uh, busy slate of uh, days then here in the US. And I want to follow up with you on each of those pieces, starting with the um, AI safety institutes you mentioned. You know, that was one of the announcements that came out of this summit was that the UK and US would each set up these safety institutes that would work together on AI risks. What exactly will that work entail? You know, how, how will these two agencies, once they're they're up and running, be working together? Yeah, so ours is, to all intents and purposes, already up and running. We established a Frontier AI Task Force uh, a few months ago. I think I mentioned it on your show last time. And the Institute is basically the evolution of that task force. It's the next chapter, if you like. Uh, So we already have the expertise. We've got the funding. In fact, we've guaranteed the funding up to 2030. Um, It's already begun testing uh, the models. So it's 
it's fully functional and will continue right. to add to uh, the staff and expertise. And the way I see it working uh, with your institute once that's established is very much them working in tandem together as sister organizations. That's certainly been the conversations that I've been having this week, them sharing uh, information, them sharing expertise and, and transferring talent to one another so that we can together tackle um, uh, this uh, this issue so that we can together test uh, models pre, pre-deployment. But we've already begun the testing in the UK. And I think that we can help you as you set, set up your institute, having learned some lessons, setting up our own task force and uh, and onboarding people. What's the number one lesson that you've learned that the U.S. could maybe emulate as it's setting up its own safety institute? Um, I think I think obviously um, doing this at speed has been um, uh, quite a challenge, um, but we've managed to do it remarkably quickly. The the rate at which we got uh, the talent and expertise on board was um, quite uh, significant in comparison to how it normally. Uh, would take place for a government onboarding people to something of this magnitude. But I, I think we've learned some lessons of how to uh, streamline those processes, especially when people are coming from um, from, from businesses where they have, uh, you know, it might be hard for them to be released from contracts or um, for them to, to navigate uh, competing interests, etc. So certainly can share a lot of that because the, the key aspect, the key ingredients that you really need for these institutes to be successful is indeed those expertise and that global talent. And will these institutes focus primarily on frontier AI models? I know that was a big focus of the summit, and I I wonder if that carries over into these agencies. Yeah, it definitely does, because frontier AI um, is where we have the highest opportunities, but we also have the, the, the biggest and the gravest potential risks as well. So it is right that we focus on those um, via these these institutes. And uh, it's very timely because the next uh, set of models are coming out within the next six months. And that's why it's incredibly important that we now have this structure and process to be able um, to do this testing, which was agreed as a landmark agreement at the summit just a few weeks ago, allowing a pre-deployment testing, including of those new models. In that vein, I'd like to get your thoughts on criticism that I've heard that, you know, focusing on frontier AI models mm-hmm. takes attention away from current day, you know, present day risks with AI, things like bias, privacy, copyright. What do you make of that argument? There are several answers to that argument. First of all, we've got to remember that this is only one part of uh, of the work when it comes to AI internationally. We already have international processes like uh, GPAY, like the Hiroshima process, the work of the OECD, the list goes on. There's several international processes that are looking at a number of those topics. And what we wanted to do with the summit was not duplicate or cut across, but complement. And this was the missing piece of the jigsaw. However, um, we also published in the UK a, a document just ahead of the summit, which was um, uh, two documents, in fact, one uh, from our, our top scientists and one from our national security teams, which detailed uh, the scale of the risks associated with AI and the potential risks. And what it concluded, in essence, was that AI can amplify existing risks. And um, we at the summit discussed three categories of risk. 
One of them was around loss of control, which is much more that hypothetical long-term potential risk. Right. One of them is around misuse. That could happen now by bad actors, both individuals or, or state actors. And one of them was around societal harms. So to the point that you just made then about bias, disinformation, misinformation, impact on potentially on elections and democracy, these were risks that were discussed at the summit. In fact, I was uh, in the societal harms risk uh, session where the, the UK task force presented a, a demo uh, showing the, the scale of the risk, really going into detail, and then uh, civil society, ministers uh, and companies contributed with their, their thoughts on this. And um, at several times, I, I referenced the, the threat to potentially to democracy and elections, which is something that I know is particularly pertinent to America and the UK as we march towards our, our elections. Absolutely. I think that's top of mind for a lot of folks here in Washington. I'm, I'm sure you're hearing that. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I know that you're soon headed to the West Coast, and I understand you'll be meeting with, you know, the big heavy hitters like Microsoft and Google and Meta and, and the like. You know, in those meetings, will you be pressing companies to provide greater access to their AI models before they're deployed? Because I know that, you know, governments have gotten commitments around safety testing. I think what's less clear to me is how much access governments will actually have to those models before they're made public. Um, so that was actually something that we we achieved at the summit on day two. That was a landmark agreement that those companies signed up to, to agree not only to model access, which is something that we already had before the summit, but they agreed to model access pre-deployment, um, which is a, a massive monumental step, which will certainly, I think, give people the, the peace of mind that not only is the government taking these risks seriously, but we're actually acting on them. This isn't just about words and pleasantries. This is about tangible actions and us acting on a global uh, stage with our, our partners, um, especially uh, in the United States. And if, do you have a sense yet of how you'll sort of check these companies' homework to make sure they, they make the grade? You know, I think that's <laughs> one of the big questions. Uh, one of the big questions is to what extent, you know, the, the companies themselves, um, you know, should be trusted to do this testing and report it back to governments. You're quite right. The system at the moment is for them to be marking their own homework. And there does need to be uh, a collaborative counterweight. You know, the companies themselves have been saying that. And that's why, of course, they agreed to to, to the agreement at Bletchley Park. That's half of the equation. Now, I would say, and um, we made this point at the summit too, that the companies need to be doing more as well as. And ahead of the summit, we got uh, the companies, we managed to achieve for the first time ever, and publishing their own safety policies so that it was much more transparent. And we published our emerging processes document, the catalogue of the possible policies that they could have adopted so that we could really encourage a race to the top rather than a, a race to the bottom. But that has to be complemented by third party testing. And I do believe that the government needs to have a role in that to be able to assure its citizens that this technology is being robustly tested and that we have put in place the necessary safeguards and mitigations. And that's certainly what the, the agreement that we brokered at Bletchley will enable us to do. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives, creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. 
The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. To shift um, topics slightly, I, I did want to talk about online safety because I know that's a priority of your trip. And you were at the White House this yes. week uh, specifically discussing online safety, I believe, around sort of sexual um, exploitation and, and harassment. Um, what, um, what came of that meeting? Yeah, so that was a meeting by a group of um, civil society organizations really delving into uh, the topic and trying to hear more. I wanted to hear more about um, the work that was taking place uh, in the United States, um, the patterns that you're seeing uh, emerging in terms of the problem and the scale of the problem and uh, the potential solutions. So we it weaved in uh, the threat that AI presents in terms of um, deep fakes. Uh, also, the potential that AI may bring up some of the solutions, so things like potentially uh, watermarking or, um, or or fingerprinting, et cetera. But obviously, they are debated areas in terms of their robustness. But it was also an opportunity for me to share the work that we've done with our Landmark Online Safety Act, how comprehensive that is and how it really shifts the dial. So, for example, we're in that Online Safety Act. We've made intimate image abuse um, illegal, uh, the promotion of intimate image abuse. We've also um, added to uh, the, the different categories of uh, priority illegal harms, coercive control. And um, we particularly tried to support those that are disproportionately impacted by abuse, um, in which it is undeniably women and girls. And we made a particular focus of the bill protecting children, especially from heinous predators that are, are trying to uh, exploit them and also protecting them from material that is certainly not suitable for uh, individuals under the age of 18. So things like pornography, when we know that the average age a child sees pornography is is now 13, mm. which is quite staggering. And that's online, obviously, via social media. You mentioned it, um, but here in the U.S., the sort of primary online safety legislation is this Online Safety Act aimed at children. Obviously, politics in Washington can be hard to predict, but it does seem to have an uphill battle in terms of getting passed. I wonder if you think there are ways the U.S. could be or should be more ambitious in how it legislates in this area, especially having passed your online safety bill. Yeah. So as I said, um, I, I did a speech yesterday on this as well to, to Posse. Um, it was difficult to pass the online safety bill in the UK. In fact, many people said it was going to be impossible. And it took a number of years and it came up against some of the similar challenges that are now being replicated in uh, in America around things like freedom of speech, etc. And the, the way that we navigated through that was to rebalance the bill, to put it its heart, the protection of children. And then when it comes to adults, to make it a bill that is focused on common sense. If things are illegal offline, then they should be illegal online. If a company promises to do something in their terms and conditions, they should actually do that thing. I don't think that's unreasonable. And then thirdly, empowering adults, giving them more choice over the content that they see. So my message to, to policymakers would, would be certainly engage with the legislation that we produced, um, which I do believe can be a blueprint, not just um, for, for America, but for countries around the world to really take that and run with it. And we know that it works. Uh, um, we know that we have worked at every stage with social media companies to ensure that everything that we're asking them to do is um, is reasonable, is doable and uh, and deliverable. And it's incumbent upon all of us to really make sure that our legislation keeps pace 
with the modern world in which we're living in. But it is important to make sure that legislators don't try to do everything possible within uh, the online world, because obviously this is the first leap with legislation in this space. It will have to be added to in the future. We tried to make ours tech neutral so that it can be future proofed. But I certainly think my my other message would be do not make perfect the enemy of the good. You can't do everything in one go. With the meetings you have at tech companies, um, or is this an issue, the online safety issue, one that you'll be focused on or their compliance with this? I know, for instance, when we spoke last time, there were some concerns with misinformation and graphic imagery, for instance, around the Israel-Gaza conflict. I, I wonder if sort of these sort of content moderation issues are, are something you plan to raise. I'm, I'm sure they will come up in, in the conversation, given um, the uh, the scale of the conflict and uh, and the scale of the content that is still um, on some of these platforms, despite, you know, I do know they have got processes in place and they are, are trying um, to uh, to remove that as quickly as possible. I think there is more that can be done. So that, that, that I'm sure that will come up. But that the focus of the actual conversations is much more around um, what more can we be doing in the UK to continue our mission to become a, a tech and science superpower by 2030? We believe very strongly that we have the right ingredients to achieve that, uh, like the, the skills, like the regulatory environment, um, uh, like the uh, supportive uh, taxation regime, etc. How can we double down on that? How can we um, uh, build up those I- ingredients to entice more companies into the UK or to entice them to grow even more and to be a really tech-friendly nation so that we can have um, the jobs of tomorrow and boost our economy? And given the recognition that we place on this sector and the importance that we believe it will have, not just um, in a year or two's time, but in the long-term future. That does seem to be the the needle that the UK is threading, where how do you grow your tech sector while also r- regulating it, keeping it safe? Um, and it, it's interesting to see how the UK sort of approaches that balance. I, and I think on that, you know, we shouldn't always see regulation as uh, anti-business. In fact, you know, most businesses uh, I, I'm engaging with are, are, are saying what they really want is they want clarity when it comes to regulation. They want to know the the roadmap in which they would be working uh, to so that they can make that long term investment. And also regulation can boost innovation if it's done correctly. And that's certainly what we've been proving in the AI sector to date. Secretary, thank you so much for joining us on Politico Tech. Thank you. Lovely to speak to you again. I hope you have a a lovely rest of the day. That's all for today's Politico Tech. For more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's episode comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our senior producer is Annie Reese. Our editors are Steve Heuser, Daniela Cheslow, and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overly. I'll see you back here tomorrow.